This is Warner Lewis, and welcome to another edition of Lewis at Large, smart talk and conversation with talented people from all walks of life. A reminder to subscribe to these Lewis at Large podcasts, go to Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, hey, let others know about it. For context, my interview with Jared Alexander was recorded in November 2021. Well, uh, to the business at hand, uh, we're extremely pleased to have with us Jared Alexander. Uh, he is a writer and a prolific one at that. He's written for Esquire, Rolling Stone, The Nation, uh, narratively, uh, amongst others. He holds an MFA in literary literary reportage from New York University Arthur L. Carter School of Journalism. He has also, importantly, served uh, eight years in the United States Marine Corps, deploying to the Mediterranean, East Africa, and Iraq. He grew up on military bases uh, spanning not only the United States, but also in Japan as well. He currently resides in the Big Apple, but very happily this fall calls Atlanta home. I know he is proud of his braves. Uh, Jared, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Oh, great, thanks. Are the are you a Braves fan? Or are you a Yankee? Or what are you? You probably jump all over. Well, I have to say I'm probably a little bit of both, but I'm really glad the Braves are in, in the World Series. That's that was really cool to see. <laughs> I'll bet. Well, we are here to discuss uh, a new work. It's a very, very fascinating, highly personalized memoir called Volunteers, Growing Up in the Forever War. Let's do this. Uh, Jared, if you would, uh, share with our Lewis at Large listeners, give us a little bit of a setup here, uh, the basis for the story, so to speak, and also your motivation uh, in putting this and sharing this with the rest of the world. Sure. Um I, I, I spent about, I spent my entire childhood around the U.S. military, and then I did eight years in the Marines, and then I, I spent another decade in kind of or, its orbit. And I've read a lot about, a lot of memoirs about the Marine Corps and the military at large and about the Iraq War. And I, well, what I began to realize is that not a lot of discussion has, has been given to the, our, how our culture sort of grows soldiers and, and grows Marines and, and grows people who end up in, uh, fighting in our wars. And I initially started out writing a, a book, a memoir of the Marine Corps and just that experience. Uh, it's a little bit of an overdone story at, at this point. But as I got along, I began to realize that there's a lot more to be discussed about childhood in the military. I was really exposed to a lot of the machinery and the, the, the um, iconography and the mentality and the value sets of the military, both historically and currently. And I wanted to explore how that creates a soldier in both the in both the good ways and positive ways and also in the negative ways and how that and the ramifications of that in our culture do you think would this story uh have come together had you not been professionally a writer would this have been and i know that's a tough one but take yourself out of the writing profession let's just say you're an attorney somewhere uh, strong enough in feeling, strong enough in ever to to do this, or was this just was this a story just waiting for, to happen for you? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I had been writing around the subject even before I was a professional writer. You know, I've been sort of talking about it in one form or another, um, and, and half attempts and, and you know knee jerk efforts. Uh, um, so I think that it was it was something that was trying to get out in a way. And then eventually I began to realize how to do this professionally. And then it focused my efforts and it focused my abilities in such a way that I was able to produce this in a professional manner. 
You have referred uh, a couple of times about your childhood or your your formative years growing up. If you would, let's dive a little deeper into that. Share with our Lewis at Large listeners, if you would, um, what do you believe now looking back, having served yourself, um, what was sort of real and what was sort of BS, so to speak, and where did those opinions come from or where do those observations come from? And how did you absorb them, and sort of what kind of messages were you receiving? Well, the kind of message I was receiving was effectively a lot of patriotic, you know, quite frankly, a little bit of jingoism, sort of, and then wrapped up with a little bit of patriotism, kind of a mixture of the two. Like the, the Persian Gulf War was really formative to my childhood. I was about ten when that started, and I watched that. My stepdad went and served over there in the Air Force, served in the Middle East during that. And it was the first time my stepdad had been kind of pulled out of my life. And it was, you know, a bit of a shock. So my entire life sort of orbited, around, orbited that conflict and, and watching it progress on television. You know, I was sort of exposed to all the language. And, and, and not only were those planes in my backdrop just in my childhood, but now they were sent overseas to drop bombs on Iraq and, and, and in the deserts north of Kuwait. And that sort of it formed the nucleus of it. As I got older, I began to read more about Vietnam and World War II and the Civil War. And I started really kind of fantasizing my a position in that. It's sort of almost heroic, like a, as, if I were, as if I wanted to be uh, Hector or, or even Achilles to a certain degree. You know, there, was, there were elements of that in a Homeric sense. Um, and that sort of ended up translating into me enlisting. I did the adventurism of it, the, the, the action, the, 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 basically the war movie. You know, the, the, the sort of aspects that we find in our war films and in our action films was translated into me enlisting into the military. Naturally, once you get into that environment, you find that the nine to five of it, you know, it was remarkably boring in comparison. Um, the, the combat and the action and the thrill of it, should, there, should it even be there at all, is very, very minute. Most of it is drudgery and, quite frankly, a little bit of terror. Um, and that's what I, what, what I sort of picked up on. What's interesting, though, is even that, even in the listing, I kind of knew that because a lot of the writers from Vietnam were explaining those things to me, but it kind of got lost in the, in the idea of being part of the leading edge of history. And that's what, that, that, that was what motivated me to do those things. And, so, and to a certain extent, those things still exist to me even now. They just happen to be tailored, colored with the, the realization of what those things mean. Uh, again, you're listening to Lewis at Larger's truly Warner Lewis. Uh, as always, from the flight deck here, got a good one going here with Jared Alexander. He is a writer. Uh, you've seen his work in Esquire, Rolling Stone, The Nation, uh, amongst others. Uh, he has an MFA in literary reportage from New York University's Arthur Carter School of Journalism. And he's also served uh, specifically for background for this interview uh, in the United States military. Uh, in the Mediterranean, East Africa, and Iraq. The work is called Volunteers Growing Up in the Forever War. Uh, Jared, I'm just curious. Do you think that our the public, the input we get, sensory input, whether it's from media, social media, the schools, our parents, uh, our society in general, our attitudes about the military are formed more thoroughly that way maybe in the United States than maybe other countries around the world? Is, is it different, uh, the input that we hear about our own military here versus other places? I think it's very filtered through a, a certain patriotic lens. I, I don't think that the, the realities of armed combat, especially in a modern context, really gets down downstream very effectively. Um, I think part of that comes from maybe a, a lack of disengagement on the part of civilians. Um, also, I think that our government didn't do a very good job of sort of 
showing us what war was like. I'll give you an example of where it worked well. Uh, and during the Battle of Tarawa in World War II, there was, uh, the, the Marines had sent out videographers and photographers to capture the landings, which were really ugly in that, in that time period. And they sent back the, that footage, and they, they showed the ramifications of, the, of that kind of work and, and the cost, it, 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 how much it cost us to take those islands. Um, we haven't seen a lot of that, or if we do, it's very, very fragmented, and it's distilled into almost political binaries to a degree. You know, you have the, the, the sort of uber-patriotic right-wing perspective of the military, which is kind of a little jingoistic, to be frank, and then you have the, the, the left side of it, which is remarkably anti-war, which is also incomplete. Um, and so, I don't know, I think, it, I think we have a tendency to, in, to take in what we're seeing and then we apply our own political filters and our own social filters, which distorts the reality of what the experience is. So in 98, from 98 to 2006, you serve in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, any particular reason you chose the Marine Corps versus the other uh, branches of the service? And share with us a little bit about how, how did Jared Alexander change over the course of those eight years? Sure. So I, uh, my initial intention was to join the Army. I wanted to be in the infantry. I was really excited about the prospect of just carrying a rifle in, in, a, in a combat unit. But the Army waffled. They, they, quite frankly, didn't sell themselves very well. And so I just turned to the Marine Corps. And the Marine Corps, I had to seek the Marine Corps out. They weren't looking for anybody. At least they weren't looking for me. And I, I had to, you know, call the recruiter. And it made it attractive. It made, it made it seem like I had to sell myself to them. And that was, quite frankly, by design. And it worked. It, you know, they could have, after their pitch, you know, they could have sold me my kidneys back to me until I quoted the book. Um, now, in the court, over the course of the, my time in the military, I, one of the things about the Marine Corps, especially as you're a young Marine, is it's an intense experience. It's, it's, it can be overwhelming. It's a, a little exhausting. Um, that said, the Marine Corps is remarkably good at, at creating the combat soldiers. Um, they're, they're, they're phenomenal at it. Um, but over time, I started to, there were aspects about the, the job itself that I found to be mundane and, and, and a little bit unnecessarily bureaucratic it has the same trappings of, of any other you know institution and then it has red tape and it has you know it has hypocrisy and it has bad leadership i was fortunate to have some good leadership in combat and not so great leadership in the states um ultimately though i i, I felt like I, I felt like i became disillusioned because i was required to because it's the natural terminus of the, of the service is is you spend you spend enough time in it and you have, you have a certain self-awareness, you kind of gravitate toward that sort of, why did I do this and why am I here? Those kinds of questions I'm still sort of answering even now. Tell us about uh, specifically uh, being in Iraq. What, uh, what, tell us about that. I mean, it, it go as deep as you want, but just in general, did that experience change you? It validated my opinions that I had about our, our, my growing opinions that I had about our foreign policy. I, I saw on a local level, on an individual Marine level, I saw Marines doing incredible, both brave things, but also compassionate things. I didn't have the experience of watching, you know, our service members do hand sacks against the Iraqi people. I did not see that. Um, I had heard stories of that, and there were incidences that had come to me that where I, where I was engaged with folks who may have participated in that, but, on an average level, I saw a lot of compassion to the Iraqi people in the place that I was. Um, but once you started moving up the ladder a little bit and you started looking at the, the sort of 
you know, the, the attrition of policy, if you will, as the higher it goes, you saw how, how, how our efforts were ultimately going to prove meaningless in the larger context of the country, or at least they were going to be significantly watered down. For example, I mean, the area that I operated in and a number of years later ended up being controlled entirely by ISIS. So all the efforts that we put into securing that valley and, and setting up for elections for the uh, Iraqi government proved to be not for some for, for for quite some time. I think it's since been pushed back, but I mean, it, it ended up all those efforts ended up being wasted, and the lives that were expended were effectively wasted in that process too. What were your What were your feelings? Did Did you have or did you have feelings uh, about our most recent troop withdrawal and and some of the 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 uh, angst around all of that? To be honest, I wasn't surprised at how clumsy the withdrawal was. I mean, right up front, uh, withdrawal in the face of an enemy force is an incredibly difficult maneuver to pull. So let's start there. And that's within a country that's engaged with it. When you have a country that has sort of been phoning in its foreign policy in Afghan uh, or, or at any conflict, the, the withdrawal is going to be phoned in, too. It's going to be last minute. It's going to be clumsy and clunky and sort of kind of... Punted, you know, punted from the forty-yard line. To use a sports metaphor. It's just, it's not going to get very far, and it's not going to reach the mark all the way. So I, I, I wasn't terribly surprised. I, I kind of expected it to be a little bit disorganized and a little bit, you know, the buck was passed in certain respects. And I, these things did not surprise me at all, to be honest with you. We can't have twenty years of conflict on the on a shoestring, right. and then not expect the not expect the withdrawal to be the same. So Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, sort of go on and on here. What sort of what the hell have we learned, uh, and what's good that we've learned? And are do you believe we're setting ourselves up still? We still haven't figured out uh, what we don't know yet. What's your what's your thought about all that? Are we are we destined well, to make the same sort of mistake, so to speak, again? I think we're. I think one thing we've learned, or we should have learned, is that lessons. It would be hubris to assume that lessons are absolute. Like you know, we've learned. We learned a lot of valuable lessons after Vietnam. The army, the U.S. military, rebuilt itself after Vietnam. It became very discerning about the ways it applied its power. Even our government did that. A lot of our discussions in the '80s and '90s were about we don't want to get into another Vietnam. So our we were very deliberate in the places we we placed our military, and we withdrew when it looked like it was going to become that way. I can think of Beirut. Our our op, you know our op, operations in Grenada were really limited. And same for Panama. They went in, finished the job, and they came out. They didn't stay there and you know find themselves into a quagmire of some sort. You know, but for some reason after nine eleven, we sort of threw all those away, all those lessons we learned, and went back to this sort of war on the on the on the on a sort of social credit card and and even economic credit card quite frankly and i think that that what that proves is that we don't we we, we it, it's going to require constant energy and effort to reiterate the lessons we've learned from our mistakes and if we don't do that we're going to do it again it's just inevitable so are you, are, you, are you feeling good that, that regardless whether it's a Republican administration or Democratic administration or same with, with Congress, as America, uh, are we learning uh, to be a little bit pickier and choosier, so to speak, and a little bit more discerning in the various conflicts we choose to become involved in? And prior to becoming involved into those conflicts, 
will we start to having a better idea of what the end game is supposed to really look like? Honestly, I don't. I'm not terribly optimistic of that. And we still have troops in Syria who are combating ISIS. Um, I don't think that, I think what, what we've learned really, to be honest with you, is we have found a way to fight wars without American people engaged in it directly. So one of the things that I, one of the beliefs that I have about the wars is that the American people need to get involved in conflicts. They need to understand our foreign policy on a granular level, or at least it's, at least perhaps a little bit more engaged than we've seen. I think that they can do that and they can start asking our leader, our leaders pointed questions about why we're committing our troops to places and why our troop commitments are as long as they are and why we're spending the money that we are and, and really like lean into that point and, and, and prevent it from becoming a third rail of our political system. Then we might see some, some alterations to how, or sort of some improvements to how we engage for, uh, internationally. Without that though, I don't really see a, a, uh, a case I don't see us change altering course anytime soon. You know, it's probably hard to com- hard to completely separate this out completely. But uh, you're the experience that you had in the military, uh, in particular. How do you believe in in either a general sense or specifically? You think it's affected your view as a writer? It's a good question. I don't know that. I don't know that it 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 affected my view as a writer one way or the other. I think that what happened after affected it. Like I came out of the military, sort of a, sort of a clumsy writer and maybe a, a, an amateur one, but I used my experience in the military as a fulcrum and the, the, the discipline that I learned in the military to a certain extent. And maybe I use this, I use my stories and I use the experiences I have as a, as a sort of a, uh, is a is a place just to learn how to do this. I can take those stories and I can shape them and mold them in a way that is engaging to somebody who hasn't experienced that. And I use that as a sort of palette. Um, now, my I would like to take that and go elsewhere with it. I'd like to plug that into another subject and see if I can do it again there. And I think I can. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, I think I, I just I use the experience as as a um, canvas, if you will. This is a little bit kind of off topic a little bit, but I am curious for your observations. From 98 to 2006, I would think that that sort of decade, that sort of those eight years of that decade, did you see a tremendous influx of women uh, into the military and more and more towards the front line from the time you went into the time you went out? That's interesting. I Early on, I mean, I started in the infantry, and the infantry is, 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 does not allow, well, at the time, did not allow women. They're, they're starting to now. Um, so that wasn't, I wasn't able to see that directly. Later on, I began to see, I began to serve with quite a few women, and most of them were really great at what they did. Um, in terms of the frontline work, when I was in Iraq, I saw women working as military police, and I saw them working as, um, more, more prominently, I saw them working in security teams for tra- like for translation teams, and um, I saw them working in, um, there was a team of, I believe they were civil affairs, and their job was to be security at voting sites. And so they would, you know, they were responsible for, you know, patting down women voters and that sort of thing, because that's not something you want a man doing. Um, so I did see them on the front lines. Now, in terms of scale, in terms of an increasing scale of that, I don't know that I can answer that accurately. Uh, but I do know there were plenty of women in the Marine Corps when I enlisted as, as well as when I left. All right. Well, it is a fascinating work, decidedly personal. Volunteers Growing Up in the Forever War mm-hmm. by Jared 
W. Alexander. Again, you have seen his work earlier uh, in Esquire, Rolling Stone, The Nation, Narratively, and, and many other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared, uh, before we get out of here, A, uh, how can people pick up a copy of this? And also, uh, tell us about a Jared Alexander website or podcast or any other ways that you communicate out to people so they can find out more. Well, the best way they can reach out to me is, is jaredalexander.com. There's a link to buy the, the book there. Uh, it'll take them to... Um, uh, uh, book, uh, bookshop.org, which is a fantastic place to buy it if you're going to buy it online. But to be honest, I think the best way to do it is just go to an independent bookstore and buy it there. They need they need the support probably more than any other any other bookseller. Um, also, I'm at Twitter at uh, Jared underscore Alexander. Well, we appreciate your time, and we certainly appreciate uh, your service to the country. And uh, looking forward to uh, having you back again. Uh, if you put something else together, we would love to have you back here. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. You bet. Thanks so much. And and we will be back with more right after this on Lewis at Large. Jared, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this installment of Lewis at Large. We add new conversations every week, and we like hearing from you. You can contact us via email at warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. That's warnerflewis1 at gmail.com. And you can find out more at lewisatlarge.com or on the Lewis at Large Facebook page. And remember to subscribe to Lewis at Large. Check out Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Now go have a great day.